0: On episode 18 of the Game Developers Podcast Out of Play Area, we welcome a good friend, Matt Udvari, a Hungarian Pittsburgh native who is the CTO and co founder of Apple Promotion, an AI powered cinematic video platform for creators, media companies, and brands, which made Forbes' 2020 a list for rising startups to watch with diverse founders. He's a self-proclaimed technologist storyteller who merges his background in computer science from wake forest and masters from carnegie mellon to have designed video games for day one studios on mech assault one and two as well as fracture then we we work together at midway austin on black Sat area 51 a special game in my heart onto major nintendo 3ds titles like night at the museum for foundation 9 and more We take a walk through memory lane, talking his journey through school, into the industry, decisions he made, and the impact they had, and how he strives to walk the same line as George Lucas and James Cameron in his journey for interactive storytelling. And we also go in on his entrepreneurial spirit and how that came to be. Please welcome, by way of Austin, Texas, mighty Matt Udvari. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue, welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast, a
1: show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads,
0: no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. you
1: identify yourself as a writer or what? I started just saying, like, storyteller and technologist is like the only way I can describe it. I had to find a way recently to tie together like my filmmaking, my game design, my like inventions for like the startup, just so people know that I'm not just all over the place and I actually do have like a central goal, you know, to what I'm doing.
0: That reminds me of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant got out the league and he was like, what am I going to do? I was like, yo, I'm I'm all about storytelling. Whatever medium that ends up manifesting in, I just want to tell awesome stories that fill that gap between like Disney and like hardcore adult, right? Like in that middle
1: area kind of thing. Like that or like, I mean, if we're talking about people that we are not right now maybe someday right is like Mm -hmm. james cameron george lucas like the kind of people that like want to tell a story and are like this does not exist as a technology yet let me just invent it like there's stories of james cameron like inventing cameras and like building pieces of cameras and stuff like that
0: I can definitely see now both of your hemispheres of your brain connecting. I want to tell something this way. And you're thinking about the full experience, much like your game development roots. Yeah. And the narrative and then forcing the technology to do that. Right. I I think that's what led you into some of these VR applications and what you're doing now at Aquifer.
1: Yeah, that's like what Aquifer came from was, you know, I was making a movie. It's a real time rendered movie in a game engine. But like those things make pictures look really good now. And I was just like, the animation was not easy enough for me. And I'm not an animator. I'm like a storyteller person. So I was like, all right, let me just like write something. And so that's what we did. And then it eventually became a monster that I couldn't control and became much bigger. And then we had to get help. And so now we have a whole team of people working on it. What would you classify it as yeah it's a it's a short 12 minute film we've been working on that for like two years part of that is like i'm being a perfectionist about it because i am really focused on our like startup business so it makes sense to say like okay you have this startup that is really important to you and like no reason to rush the film like it has to be done it can't like sit there forever but like make it good you know like if it comes out and it doesn't look good, I'm not going to feel right. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is like your dear baby that you've yeah. been incubating for two years and you have a vision for it.
1: It like reflects on me as a founder of a startup that's supposed to make movie technology, right? Like it's like a personal thing. And it's like, if that comes out, it does well, gets into some festivals or something, you know, whatever it does, let's, let's hope the sky's the limit. It looks really good for our business too. Like then we don't have to say used by X, used by Y. We can say like created by X.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To put that in perspective, when you think of how does Unreal Engine get all those licensees when they can easily show off, hey, look at Gears of War or look in Fortnite built on the engine. We built it ourselves. And then that kind of gets you thinking, okay, great. We want to build a similar game like that. Let's let's license the technology. From your standpoint, it's the same thing. This is a... a tool set to build films. And this is a film they themselves have built off of it. Oh yeah, this is legit. They've shown me how to do it. I'm going to license the the technology.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's one of my biggest like career frustrations was like, I don't want to like to use the word regret, but let's get deep early.
0: Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Let me pull myself some, some more.
1: For the record, no, no wine has even been drank. We just get natural like this because we
0: know each we go back bro we go back for those of you that don't know me and matt not only worked together on my first game you had already had a couple under your belt yeah but Sight was my first game
1: i thought i was like a big senior guy but really i only had four years of experience now in retrospect it's like we were all rookies right <laughs> so
0: under under like harvey and yeah and ricardo and and kent scott carpenter scott lang then we lived together. We, you were yes. my, you were my roommate in Austin, and those bonds run deep, sir. So I, I'm, I'm happy that even though was, we've been apart for many years, and I'm so sorry I missed your wedding, that we still have that rapport and that comfort around each other to get deep, quick, fast.
1: I did see you. Um, I guess it wasn't last year. The pandemic has like erased a year in my mind, but like. Yeah. Felt like last year. It was actually two years ago at GDC, right?
0: Yeah. GDC 2019. I Jeez. saw you. We kicked in the door, Unity, and we're like, yo, we want to see some people. We yeah. got some needs. We got some cases we need solved.
1: I know. I'm like, Unity, I'm making you guys look good. I'm making magic every day for you to show off on your engines page. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to our regrets. It's all for the best. You know, it's all destiny. But I, hindsight, I should have chased y'all out to California and like done two years out there, probably.
0: Especially if you're an aspiring filmmaker.
1: Yeah. And I was always like really at that point, I started to become focused on trying to do my own thing. But it would have been easier to do my own thing if I would have like got that red dead real quick. Just killed my soul for two years. You know, you guys are like never sleeping, living in that giant house together. If I would have just lived in that house and, like, (laughs) dealt with your noise for two years. (laughs) I
0: think you'd have more gray hairs.
1: Get some more gray hairs and then just be like, just pull that red dead on, on all over town. Like, Danny, who was on your podcast, I'm sure already. Episode 10. Built a great resume and, like, you and him built great resumes in, like, the course of four years. And those, now that I'm in the startup world, those, like, one word things mean everything to people. Really? Yeah. Hold on, man. Please elaborate on that,
0: right? Because I think there's a lot of us that don't really know that, right? Because we've never had to fend out for ourselves to get investment, right? To pitch something. Even myself, man, I'd appreciate a little bit more understanding in, in, in what that means, how that helps.
1: Yeah, you, you know this from game design. It's like when you're onboarding a player, you cannot be short enough and you cannot be clear enough. And it's like really the same thing when you're trying to seek investment from people. Like, These people talk to hundreds of people. Like their job is to talk to startup founders every day and to somehow keep track of it all. And somebody's got to stick out. For me, one of the things that sticks out to people is if I'm just like true blue, like I love movies, I love technology, I'm passionate about this, and I went to Carnegie Mellon.
0: (laughs) Carnegie Mellon is solid in this space.
1: Area 51, like all that stuff, worked on that game, worked on Mech Assault, whatever. You have that one sentence that just has those bullet points. They don't need to be like impressive. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I did this or I did that. It's just stuff to make you seem like you are good and care about what you're doing. Yeah, that that Red Dead wouldn't hurt. (laughs)
0: That gets you in the door. Yeah. Dude, you know what's interesting is the the caliber of the way the games are made over at Rockstar. You can say it's synonymous with... Film development, right? Like they, mm-hmm. there's a lot of time spent on the narrative and the in-game cinematics, right? And then going into gameplay, and and a lot of face effects and motion capture to sell that same vibe, so that for people that aren't playing, that are just wa- sitting next to the person holding the controller, it is like watching a movie, you know, like similar to the um, Naughty Dog guys.
1: Mm. I used to play like two games when I was a kid. I had like two games, which were Bard's Tale oh taz times and tone down dang and those were on what console apple 2gs that's like why i didn't have that many games Yo. you know hell yeah yeah it was like at the time like really good graphics right yeah yeah apple apple if anything stood them out keith the thief that was my third game that was naughty dogs like one of their first games Oh, And so okay. this Keith the Thief game was, like, another funny game, and it was about this dude named Keef, and he, like, was, like, this, you know, medieval thief, and it was, like, a really silly game. Oh, uh,
0: okay. So, but, but, like, strong character and, like, uh, uh, mascot presence.
1: They were both kind of, like, Bard's Tale, where you're, like, I don't even know what you call it anymore, like, fake 3D dungeon <sighs> walking. Keith the Thief.
0: If you guys want to see awesome cover art, you got to Google Keith the Thief.
1: Yeah, this is, is, is that amazing. Re- does that remind you of anyone? The art
0: style with the long nose like that. I, I got a few things come to mind.
1: If you look at the title screen, it kind of looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh, definitely,
0: man. Like uh, Conan the Barbarian, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're playing Bard's Tale and you were playing... Taz, Taz times
1: in Town Town. Taz times. And then, and, tone and then tone I got tone. into the Sierra stuff, and I played like this is oh, where yeah. the story games come in. I played go. every King's Quest and every Space Quest that was on that computer, and that was when I was like, oh, you can tell stories in video games. Roberta Williams is my favorite game developer ever, for sure.
0: Roberta Williams, shout to her. She's do my homework. She's the OG
1: storytelling game designer for sure.
0: I don't know if you saw. Crystal Dynamics publishes free book, 100 Women in Games. And they it's like essentially a encyclopedia and it runs through the decades. Every woman that's had an impact, you know, through the decades. And it's not exhaustive, but it's pretty damn good. So I got to see if she's in there. It wouldn't surprise me if she is.
1: She's got to be in the top 10. You have to admit, games, we don't do a good job of respecting our founders and our elders too much. It's not like music or movies. Like, If Roberta Williams was a film director, she would be, you know, making The Irishman right now or whatever, you know, like her Netflix opus. Yeah. I don't know what she's doing. She's probably not even in games or I'd probably be playing her games, right?
0: (laughs) Okay. Check this out. 1979, Sierra Online is founded. And yeah, it calls out Ken and Roberta Williams. They talk about King's Quest, Gabriel Knight. Roberta Williams is considered one of the most influential women in video game history for her work as a writer and designer on Mystery House, The King's Quest series, Phantasmagora, and 20 additional games.
1: Hey Roberta Williams, if you listen to the John Diaz podcast, We Need a Mentor and we need a special guest hall of Famer. Yo, I hope you know <laughs> the name of the podcast you on, Out of Play Area boom so where's that name come from is it just because of like when you do something bad and you get out of the level or whatever
0: exactly <laughs> exactly when you got the sony vr headset or any vr space and oh, you right. step out yeah. right you get the message in your face like bah, bah, out of play area and you're the first person to ask that it's totally inspired by bringing in developers talking about you mm-hmm. and getting outside of the usual play space where we're like hey tell us about the game and what you did right more into how you approach the craft what led you here why you stay here and where's the wisdom for the next
1: generation i love it you can start putting that in like the front of your podcast like with the music behind it we're gonna
0: iterate on the
1: intro to let people know where the name comes from or in my case it can be like why did you not keep making games at studios (laughs) so i i went out of the play area
0: (laughs) yeah literally literally Take me to where you are today. Where are you seated out of? And tell me more about this company that you co-founded and your role
1: in that and your day-to-day. Still in Austin. Still in the ATX. As mentioned, I I did not chase you to California when you left me. It's a semi regret. For the audience, Midway Studios, the entire corporation exploded. Warner Brothers bought the Mortal Kombat franchise. Nether Realms. That was the main thing. I guess at that point you immediately went to california to go be a superstar on red dead redemption
0: was it when you went to foundation nine you were part of a nintendo
1: 3ds team that was my next job yeah which was i was a lead designer on a night at the museum
0: yeah. And I, I think you got me an interview. And I remember getting up on the whiteboard and having to do some Halloween theme <laughs> game.
1: Oh, I used to ask everybody that question. That must have been my question you got. You were there. You were in the interview. Yeah, it was like a group, but I they probably wouldn't have let me like assign you a question since I knew you. But you chose it, I think. <laughs>
0: Probably. I think you guys were nice and you kind of gave me a palette of things to pick. And I picked that and I remember getting flustered. I don't remember what it was, right? Like I was in my head with where I wanted
1: to go or what I wanted to call a system or a mechanic. You were like still in your your New York back then too. You're like, yo, son, what's going on here, kid? (laughs) That's like my Pittsburgh has worn off too. And then when I go home, I'm there for like three days and I'm like, Hey, Jimmy, let's go downtown. What are you doing? (laughs) It's like a fuel tank,
0: right? It depletes when you're away and it refills when you're back. And then you
1: carry that wherever you end up. It comes back fast. Like my mom has a little bit of a Pittsburgh accent and it comes back really fast when I'm around her. So, yeah, you came in for the interview, but then did you not get the job? I forget, but you ended up somehow getting a superstar job instead. So it was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, and I thank you for bringing this up.
0: I interviewed at a bunch of places in Austin. I did not want to leave, right? I had a great network there, a bunch of great people. And at the time, there were some amazing things going on at Sony Online. BioWare was in town. There was Foundation 9. Retro was in town, right?
1: There was just a lot of cool... They're still here. By the way, side note, if you ever want to come back to the production side... Austin's game development scene is really big now. <laughs> EA, we got, we got a <laughs> big studio down there doing big things. Yeah, you do. You could just direct transfer and come back to me.
0: I could direct transfer. And then Amazon has a, has a satellite down there too. Everybody's
1: here. Just good luck
0: buying a house. Yeah, the real estate. I, we got jobs. Jobs can hook us up on the real estate market.
1: Yeah, she's doing fantastic on that. She's going to buy all of our land out from under us. I think she's going to become a real estate mogul.
0: Oh, yeah. It's great to see her who went through traditional design, got into game design and is now doing
1: like full on real estate home design. For the audience, this is one of our game design compadres from back in the day. Yeah, Her and her husband are using what they know from tech. And that's why they're owning that real estate game because she's got the design sense. He's like a programmer. And so they got Mm -hmm. all this tech enabled stuff and they're like realtors.
0: It's leveraging like the Redfin
1: and all those platforms, right? Like making those more human. He's doing all sorts of stuff. She's designing houses. It's just not fair for their competition. When you can do it yourself like that and you don't have to hire people, it's like, yeah. Anyways, let's talk about how you left me. And we have to come back to... I hate to sound like I'm your like wild, wacky co-host, but I have to interject again and say we have to come back to the decision because I want to make fun of you about the decision.
0: Oh, that's what you wrote <laughs> down. Oh, my goodness. Your film eye. So... I'll say this, right? Like for anybody out there looking for work or in between jobs or whatever, as somebody starting out with one ship title under their belt, I was still trying to, you know, I was not being picky. I I took every opportunity I could and went on every single interview I could, Mm. just trying to stay near my friends, trying to get work. You're saying you didn't want the job
1: when you came to interview with us.
0: (laughs) Not that I didn't want it because I figured out that there's three Ps to it, right? There's the pay, there's the project and there's the people. Yeah, And so the money was going to be better than what I was making at Midway. I knew that. And the people, right? It was, I want to work with my friends. The project could be what it was. What I found out is as soon as you put me in front of a project that I know inside and out, that I can break down and blueprint and script for you without ever having looked at the code of the engine, those interviews organically just go so much smoother, right? So yeah. by the time I was in front of a rock star crew and they're talking, you know, and their test and their questions are all focused around GTA, yeah, it's easy. It was yeah. easy for me, right? Like you know, I'm just like, oh my god, I can tell you everything about this game, and so I got the job, and that was an easy decision because it was a game that I really wanted to work on. Like Mm -hmm. it was as simple as that, right? Like it had to pay the project and the people because Danny and a bunch of other friends were already out there. Yeah. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I left you, Matt.
1: Well, it's funny. Like that company I was working at was definitely not for you. But like I didn't realize it at the time. I kind of like denied my love for movies and stuff for a lot of years when I was working in games. And I was like, and in that place, I was working on adapting a movie. And it was like something I really loved because it was like they gave me the script in advance and it was like you have to kind of follow the plot. We haven't even made the movie yet. Like you have to keep Ben Stiller's likeness a certain way. And like it was just really good job for me. For you, absolutely.
0: Like it marries both worlds of the film and translating that into a game
1: experience. And nobody bought that game because of some crazy shit that happened at the publisher. But I want you to play that game sometime because it's really good. Okay, I could do that for you. I can get it on a Switch emulation. I got the most freedom anybody's ever gotten as a lead game designer on a licensed product because little did I know this is how small the entertainment world is. Our publisher was this one publisher that was between us and I guess it was like I don't know, Warner Brothers or somebody made that movie. And like the publisher was like a cross-disciplinary game Hollywood type publisher. Well, they started being like really ago about everything with me. And I was like, oh, you guys are awesome. Well, it turns out they went out of business mid-production. And then the game, I was just able to complete the game. And then it got sold to like THQ for distribution. Oh, at like nothing like the game got sold for like a few hundred thousand dollars is a DS game and they didn't do anything to market it. They were just like the movie's coming out. We'll just get like that natural marketing from the movie and we won't do anything. So it didn't sell that much. But here's the funny thing about the entertainment business is like now that we have this like movie focused startup we had an advisor who was like out in hollywood and still like works for an agency out there and turned out she was at that company and was like one of the people that was on the game i didn't know And and so we got to tell the tale from both sides, like how this publisher has been going out of business. And that's like why you had so much freedom. So it's a really weird story.
0: Anytime I get somebody who's in any lead position, it's always interesting to hear what that setup was like. Like, what were your goals? How did you guys structure the project? And then how many people you had to manage?
1: Well, those are pretty small teams. I'd say like DS team is kind of like the early version of an iPhone team, you know, like Not an indie iPhone game, but an iPhone game made at EA or something, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like not that many people. So we probably had like 10 people on that game, 15 people. Total, including programmers, artists, design. That's not counting probably like flex staff, like QA that works on other projects and people like that but like it's pretty small. I mean, it was kind of interesting just working back and forth with the Hollywood people until, you know, the publisher went out of business and I was like, what's going on? But I did a lot of licensed games in a string there. Cause I did that. And then I did UFC and like Ooh. UFC was really fun. And I had to go like watch every UFC match. Cause I had to keep up with it.
0: Did you get a little bit, uh, into combat design for that one?
1: Yeah. And it was like really difficult because we were using pre-existing models from the Japanese team that makes WWE and UFC. Oh, So we had to like work with what we had and then adapt the control scheme to like iPhone touchscreen and also make it like perform. So you can imagine if you ever played WWE or something, you can't do that on a touchscreen like you have to redesign the whole thing are you saying that the models were very heavy oh yeah this is like 10 years ago and they were already like sort of photorealistic, realistic had sweat you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> so you had to port that down to the
0: iphone yeah to, Like cut away a lot of that fidelity
1: well and these japanese developers had this really cool control scheme where you would, like do double sticks in different directions and like they had this thing called cranking when you would like try to submit somebody lock up yeah and it was sort of similar to wwe but like we had to try to make it simpler it's kind of like the way street fighter is on an iphone like there's simple mode or whatever yeah So we actually did play Street Fighter a little bit and we were like, okay, we all know this game really well. This is not simple control scheme. Like, how do you play this on iPhone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because at the
0: time, remind me again, this was like early App Store days where there wasn't really a lot of precedent beyond touch and click and swipe. So you had to kind of establish a design for touch gestures, I imagine.
1: Yeah, and there weren't many fighting games on iPhones yet. In fact, there weren't a lot of games that looked like console games yet. So yeah, yeah. that's why we were looking at. I think Street Fighter was when we looked at. It was like, okay, this is a more higher end game that's doing stuff like this. So yeah, what what aspect did you hone in on? I had a life lesson where it's like trust experts in other fields because we had this like animator that I had actually recruited from the job where we made Night at the Museum. And I was like trying to be Mr. Designer and telling him what to do. And it turns out he was the one that solved like how we were going to figure out how to chain the animations together. Because like, here's another technical thing for your audience. It was all IK driven, the Mm. fighting. And you couldn't do that on the iPhone at the time. Or at least we didn't have the time to do it and re-engineer it. So, like in those fighting games, I don't know what this Japanese company is, but they deserve is a lot. Is it Aki? Credit. Aki, probably. They're like WWE developer. It was named after founder Yukinori Taniguchi's high school nickname, so it's probably UK. Damn! It's yeah. every
0: single wrestling game I've ever played.
1: Yeah, they have other games in there, but they all have this element of, like, super great combat.
0: Yeah, that's their engine.
1: Yeah, they're amazing. So, like, they had developed, and this was in, like, 2010, they had this, like, IK-based grappling system, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, because what what does that mean, then? Like, without having to hand animate when two bodies are colliding with each other and holding each other, you know, all the joints kind of smoothly move into the collision, right? So, like, the wrists and the feet and the head and the neck.
1: It's basically like figuring out what the whole chain of the arm, for example, should do Mm -hmm. if you know where it's hitting something. Yep. I mean, you guys did like so much of that on like the Red Dead games, right? Because you don't know where people are going to walk all the time.
0: That's my (laughs) biggest application is always we always talk about foot IK, right? Yeah. So like when you're on uneven terrain or you're walking up steps, all that is just essentially physics acting on the skeleton to make it look natural without you having to animate to put the foot exactly in place.
1: I need some IK like on my actual self when I play sports in real life because (laughs) 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 if I could just figure out how to make contact with things. You've seen me play basketball. I can't stop. You know, I have a stopping problem.
0: Yeah. You're a a tall, long guy. For people that haven't seen you, I would describe you as like a Henry Cavill kind of looking dude, man. And and I wish we had played more basketball together, man, because I'm sure I could have thrown some alley-oops and you could have banged those things home.
1: I had a friend that I used to play with in college and he was like 6'6", but he could shoot. And he was just like amazing. He almost made like the team at Wake Forest. My undergrad was Wake Forest. We won NCAAs when I was yeah. there. Tim Duncan was on the Timmy, team. Timmy, y'all about to say. I was about to say. Yeah. Timmy. And my friend like almost made the team like he was that good. Because he was like 6'6", 6'7", and he could shoot.
0: Height plays a big part.
1: Yeah, because if you're going to play in the NBA, that is what you need to be unless you're like an athletic dribbling freak, super mind for the game type guy. Like if you're like Dirk Nowitzki and you're like super tall and you can handle and you can shoot, that's like pretty hard to stop. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I want IK because then I can make contact with all the things I'm supposed to make contact with. <laughs> <laughs> and I just get really confused in basketball. I feel helpless. Like, I, I have the athletic ability, but I don't know where I'm going. And why is everybody running in circles? And, like, I don't know where everybody's supposed to be. <laughs> people trick me all the time. You know, how people do this thing for all the basketball Fakes. fans where they go, Ooh, you know, when you like get the rebound and some guy goes, Ooh, ooh right here. And he's like on the other team. And then you get scared (laughs) and you give it to him.
0: Oh, that's mean.
1: Oh, you know that little bird noise people do? Oh, ah. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And then
0: you're just like, I'm panicking. Yeah. You you throw it to the sound. You're like, oh, that's got to be
1: my teammate. I hate that. I have so many people in my past that I wish I would have physically attacked after they did that to me.
0: I feel like you have a high threshold for pain and anger. I've never seen you fluster. I've never seen you lose your cool.
1: (laughs) I've lost my cool having my own business, not in a throw stuff mode, but in a like, this is hard. (laughs) I think that'll break everybody. Sure. Balancing everything. Yeah. I'm curious because working at Foundation
0: 9 on all these interesting various types of games and IPs and franchises that are obviously pushing your technical experience or the things you deal with day to day, what made you make a shift after that? Sounds like a, a pretty awesome place for you to keep growing and get closer and closer to Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It does <laughs> yeah, I, th- I was one of those people took a long time to really figure my stuff out. like I think when I first got into games when I was in grad school, I had a different reason for getting into games than I think like you did. I'm guessing I'm putting thoughts into your head right now. Well, tell me what your reason was. I wanted to like innovate the way stories were told. like I didn't really like care that much about like some of the other aspects, and I felt like there weren't a lot of games out there that were made for like me
0: since the sierra games
1: sierra zelda so there's some like zelda type games on iphone i play the crap out of iphone games now because of that reason new zelda games
0: what's a good narrative game on the iphone
1: there's like this one game i was playing that like i'm looking at my iphone right now for all you radio listeners there's a game ocean horn on there that's like sort of a zelda clone oh Man, I play so many iPhone games. I like love iPhone games, but I don't really like console games all the time, depending on what they are.
0: It's the big market. I think mobile games have taken over.
1: I like your old games. Like I actually like the Grand Theft Auto games. I don't like always the subject matter, but I like experiencing story. I think they're kind of like the modern Zelda type game that an open world Mm. game made well, right? It's sort of like a choose your own adventure story in a way
0: oh uh, yeah yeah that's a good spin on it i haven't heard it compared to that and and i thought the chinatown wars was a really well done version it had like this top-down perspective i think it poured it over to mobile
1: i only played that a little bit i actually was like looking that game up the other day and i was like trying to remember what it looked like
0: mm-hmm. it has this uh flat cell shaded comic book style to it
1: yeah it's really cool but yeah i I mean i feel like if i would have started making games like now there's more stuff going on like when we were at gdc a couple years ago and they had the independent game awards i was like you know what the problem is in games and i'm not even trying to be like super woke guy there's not enough different people telling story and like all these Uh, games and this independent thing are made by all you know there's a lot of great female designers there's a lot of great international designers and it's like man this stuff's like pretty refreshing like yeah, it always comes from that whatever they call the independent game awards i was like these are really new the igf it's n- new stuff any ones you remember in particular i mean i was playing them all after it you know sometimes the AAA stuff i'm just like oh man another one of those
0: yeah you've seen it already right it's just a different look
1: yeah and the other thing i don't like is like really experimental games I I wanted to have like some sort of coherent story to it. Danny's game was in here. It's a really good example of a game I like. Moss. Moss.
0: Shout out to Moss and the Polyarch people. That's a really wonderful marriage of freely applying the the medium, right? Really taking VR and, and, and showing its strengths telling a fun beautiful compelling story putting you in the center of it i think they even call you the reader i think as as yeah
1: i do envy the fact they made that game because i'm like that's what i wanted to play on vr third person story based character based game and everybody else is like i'm up high i'm skydiving and i'm just like it's not me i'm sure it's great but like i don't want to do these games like i don't want to do this like jumping across rooftop stuff.
0: Yeah, it was such a great experience. Now's the time, right? I think VR and AR are young enough that it's still the Wild West where people are still trying to figure out what the limitations are, what the right experiences are to tell for it. I'm very proud
1: of him because like people need to make that game. That game is what's going to make VR a popular thing. And the games jumping across rooftops are fun and they're thrilling. And but like, Those kind of games are like games that people will remember in 10 years. It's like Zelda, but for VR, right? It has a character that you can make a stuffed animal out of, has a great story. You feel like you had emotions playing it.
0: Absolutely. I was super invested in keeping Quill safe. Yeah. Shout out to them. All of the Polyarch people deserve all the love and acclaim for what they put into Moss.
1: And Doug, Doug's up there now, too, working on whatever secret concoction is coming.
0: At Aquifer, tell me about how you founded it. What's the goal for it, What's your role?
1: Aquifer, we are trying to like innovate on people's ability to tell stories. Obviously with my own film is like, yeah, I'm trying to tell a story and I want it to be great in the same way. Like Moss is great, even though it's not VR, it's a linear film. But with Aquifer, we're trying to say like, In the early 80s, how would you film something? Your family on a trip? You're going to go like reel to reel super eight like film camera yeah and nobody did that except for the nerdy nerdy parents that were like film fans because it's just it's really difficult you have to get it developed you have to be really careful all that stuff it's expensive Mm -hmm. and then like vhs and beta come out and everybody's parents are like filming stuff and birthdays and and then the next wave is people are making like independent films and it made a whole new wave of independent film And so like me just being like really into the history of like storytelling, I'm like, that would be the big goal is like animation really, really hard to do. Could we make it so a regular person could do that? Could they make an animated movie in five years with an easier tool? Oh, I could see the value proposition there pretty easily. But it's a long way to go, right? Because animation has like, you're not taking in rays of light and putting them on a sensor or film you have to manipulate something that's not real so like the question becomes like how do you manipulate the character to tell your story when it's not somebody in the real world so you know you start to get into filling the gaps with like machine learning and stuff like that
0: yeah i've seen some pretty gnarly applications i come to aquifer because i have a story to tell and i'm not an animator And you guys provide a tool that would allow me to tell a story and leverage models and animations or or how, how would I come to you? Hey, I have a story to tell and you guys are in the space to solve this problem that I have. What do I need to come with already or can I come empty handed and be like, hey, what do your tools give me?
1: So a lot of people are coming totally empty handed with like either a existing property they want to tell a story with, or they have a company that needs to tell a story, or some people don't come empty handed and they have like a model that we need to like ingest into the platform. Basically what happens, some of the people are self-serve, some aren't, but we set up these things called studio kits. And the best way to think of it is it's like if you had a back lot at a studio
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think warner brothers backlot or... yeah warner
1: brothers backlot you've been there right i'm sure yeah and so there's like a bunch of studios in there and there's the backlot there's the studios, sound stages stuff like that
0: they have like the set for friends they have the set for like big bang theory they have yeah. like the batman films and and shit like this yeah yeah batman's your favorite i know but <laughs> spider-man was my favorite <laughs> and then then i made the jump too. i
1: like miles morales though he's pretty cool
0: He's awesome, man. He's awesome. A lot of people are excited about having a person of his background, right? Puerto Rican and Black, Mm -hmm. Afro-Latin background, be a protagonist in a major, major video game.
1: And a New Yorker.
0: And and Spanish Harlem. Oh, can I tell you how, how excited I was? That actually
1: reminds me of the thing I wrote down, but I want to answer your question first. Yes, please do. So basically, it would be like if you were at Warner Brothers and you had the Friends set, you had the Batman set, and they're all set up and they're all in production. Mm -hmm. So virtually you would have, like, say you're doing Batman, you would have Batman, Robin, Catwoman as animated characters. And you would have Arkham background. You would have, like, what's a good one? Like, Gotham Street scene background. Yep. Yep. Um, The The chemical factory. Oh, yeah. And, like, you would be able to choose, like, okay, I'm going to do a scene in Arkham. I'm going to use Batman and Robin, and they're going to have, like, a, a scene together. I'm going to be able to like choose their animations based on like a set I have. And I'm going to be like really simply able to set them up in a timeline, some of which is aided by some machine learning so that I can just like read each of their lines and then poof, out comes a beautiful rendered scene.
0: Okay. So I have a little bit of experience just because Chen brought me in on like a friends and family UX customer survey or whatever. And It's pretty powerful from the like on a mobile experience, I was like, holy cow, how fast things get up and running. But yeah, if I'm dealing, if I'm ever dealing with animation, the timeline is essential. And then being able to control the camera, right. And being able to cut from different perspectives and have those set up in place. So you're telling me I can come to you with my world built and my models, and then you have generic animations that map to these generic rigs or you guys would build those. There's like different tiers of how much you would provide for a certain price, I imagine.
1: Yeah, and we're starting to do like some procedural stuff with the animations. Nice. That's smart. So part of our like, we call it Aquifer Labs effort is like using machine learning to to drive a scene from a voice performance. Like gauging oh. your emotion, gauging your cadence and like trying to build a scene from that is like really what our next big thing is going to be.
0: Wow. Okay, so you're telling me I would give you like a voice recording and you would you'd be able to kind of map that onto a model and and the face?
1: Yeah, in so many so many words and the difficult part is it involves like a lot of different algorithms that do different things. Like we sure. we're not trying to um do them all at once. I think what we're our plan in the next couple of months is to come out with like a public prototype of like some of it working. So yeah. people know where we're going.
0: That's huge, man. I could see any agency or company really benefiting from working with you guys for ads, for little stories, for pre-visualizations, things like that. What's your bandwidth like? Are you guys taking on new customers? Are you looking for more resources to come onto the team?
1: Yeah. People like you could, you know, be like, hey, I'm doing a YouTube channel for whatever engine. I don't know. Is your engine? Am I allowed to say the name of it? Is it secret? Frostbite
0: is a publicly known engine.
1: I have so many different friends at these companies. I don't. You know, sometimes we have conversations, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to talk about it. Let me see the wine glass. How light is the wine glass looking? It's too high for me to come be on, stuff bro. Like that. So, like, you could have a character that looks like a comic version of you. And you uh-huh. could be like, I want to have a really universal look. I want to have like a brand where it's like the John Diaz animated brand. And you could be like, what's up, you know, out of play area. I'm going to talk about frostbite, tell you like about the new hotness. And it could even be internal to EA. And like, you could have a really beautiful animated movie you do that every week. You know,
0: the thing that comes to mind is when I'm working with like an emojis on my phone. Yeah. Is that comparable? Is that similar?
1: So the animojis are just to animate facial animation. Mm-hmm. So we have like facial body. And I think the main thing, actually, we focus on a lot of cinematography. So like camera work, what are the standard cameras you would want in like a conversational scene?
0: Yeah. So to have like the the cuts from the person who's talking and then behind the head of the person who's talking and cutting back and forth and then getting the full shot. Yeah. What are, What are the typical camera angles? You know this more than I do.
1: Well, like we have a thing at Aquifer. We just use like a pretty typical set of like what you would call coverage cameras in like a movie. So we each character will get like close up, medium shot, long shot. And then like of those. So there's like nine of those we will do. So it's like left side, right side, center of those three. And then if there's two characters, we'll, like, kind of obey that rule of 180 where, like, if you were talking to me, I'll keep to, like, your left and my right so the camera just kind of looks like a person would be looking back and forth. Yeah. So we try to, like, automate a lot of that. And then we have, like, what. You would call like more of your scene shots or your like master shots, which are like custom cameras that don't have to do with that. You know, like in Red Dead Redemption, there's like a cowboy riding across the prairie and there's like a drone shot and it moves in close. Yeah, we call it the landscape cam. Yeah, landscape cam would be a good one for that, too. Going back to
0: my brief 20 minute experience <laughs> with, the, with the app, it felt like a lot of that heavy lifting was taken care of. Like I can just set up the scene and to your point, all the cinematography looked professional. It looked like it had been directed. I had all these different camera shots and then I could adjust the lengths and when to cut and where to look from and things like that after. So it definitely makes you feel like a director, even though I didn't know what I was doing.
1: Yeah, that's kind of like the idea. One of our internal rules is like there might be more customizable systems out there, but we are like trying to restrain ourselves and be like, this has to be usable by like, Mm. Think of the least technical person in your family. Like to me, it's my mom. She's the least technical person. Oh yeah.
0: My mom takes the cake.
1: Yeah. Probably the most technical is my like niece, right? Like niece niece or nephew, but like, can the least technical person use this? Maybe not the advanced options, but like, can they use it enough to make something? And that's our rule is like, if we want to do something and they can't use it, then we're going to have to like find an easier way to do it.
0: Who's your target audience or customer?
1: Right now, the main one is like kids, entertainment and education. So one of the ones that's like actually goes between kids and like adult is like we just did a really cool movie with Crunchyroll, the animated channel.
0: Oh, I saw that. I saw you flaunting Crunchyroll.
1: Yeah. So I, I sent that out because I was really proud of it because, like you know, me just being like a movie dude, I was like, oh, this is this is right up my alley. It was basically like if you had the Grammys or something and you had a virtual production, you know, we're trying to do these like remote animated productions that are driven by people who are not animator specialists, (laughs) you know?
0: Man, you know, as you talk about that, this sounds like the perfect time with, you know, everybody working from home, the pandemic, everybody being disconnected, right? That this is a fantastic time to all the content creators are thriving right now, right? Like everybody's eyeballs are idle and ready to look at new things because they're not outside. So Crunchyroll was a big partnership. Are there any other products out there from Aquifer?
1: So there's like another one on the other side of the spectrum as far as like Crunchyroll's like very entertainment centric, Mm -hmm. obviously. Everybody watches anime on there. Yes. There's one called Blue Studios, which is really cool because it's like these little kid characters that teach other kids about like STEM education stuff. It's really cool because it's like, it's been proven. I, I worked for an educational startup at one point. We didn't go over that part. And we went through a lot of the data. And like, I remembered from that time in my life that like kids retain information more when they're like entertained, right? Yeah. So if, if they watch like a Pixar looking character talking about math, they're more likely to retain it than if they just see like a whiteboard.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's why Sesame Street is so popular and prominent, right? Oh, yeah. I have a goddaughter who is a couple of years old and who can fully navigate a YouTube interface or a video, right? And and they got these people studying from home and having to stare at a screen of their teacher and keep attention. And that's challenging. So to say that you can facilitate educational content creation where, hey... I have your attention on the screen. Let me replace my face with this animation that I put together covering the same lesson plan. I could see that being extremely powerful. Even taking like all the Khan Academy stuff, man, and like converting that into animation.
1: Yeah, it's been really good for this remote stuff, like both on the consumer end. And I mean, like media consumer, like kids watching educational videos, Crunchyroll being able to do like a really cool awards show. But like, also on the producer end, like I think one of our big things is like, I think people that have like a lot of resources don't realize how inaccessible like creation is and like, yeah. you know, we, t- we talked about like new voices and stuff. Like if you don't have a lot of resources and you don't have a lot of money, it is accessible to be able to make something really cool with this thing. When I was younger, I didn't have like a whole bunch of resources, right? Like I could never have made an, a live action film. Yeah, you had your Apple II. I thought I was really in a good place having that 2GS though. Oh, hell yeah, you were. Let's not get it twisted. I had friends who had like a Commodore 64 and I, I thought the 2GS was better. But had a lot less software. But yeah, I mean, I think just like movies are super expensive. They're well beyond like when I was younger, well beyond my means to make any sort of movie unless it was like VHS Do the double deck record to edit, you know, that kind of thing. And I would do stuff like that sometimes. But like, that's one of the things with Aquifer is like, let's get people of like less technical skill and maybe even less resources, the tools to make something cool to express themselves.
0: I like that, man, because right now, yeah, we all have the power to be a creator with our smartphones. We can capture video, Mm -hmm. we can record voice, and it sounds like you allow us to edit that in an animation in an intuitive way that we have access to that we didn't have access to before. I can always go to people and be like, oh yeah, Blender's free, download Blender. And you know, when you think about any of those video editing softwares, yeah, there's a subscription model and it's still like 20, 30 bucks a month to cut that together.
1: And Blender, has a skill barrier. And then when you start talking about a skill barrier, you're still talking about a resource barrier because like skill is time, right? So you could be like mm-hmm. really smart, but what if you're really busy at work? Yeah, you're managing a family, you're managing several jobs, health. And I always think about like how many people are there running around with two jobs that have some movie in their head that have no way to tell it. Well, don't you I always think it? about that stuff. I'm like, how many Uh, Like related to that, I always think how many like potential Michael Jordans were there? They were the same age as Michael Jordan, but like somehow just never got to play basketball in high school or something. (laughs) There's people like that everywhere.
0: I love the message, right? I think that's a big reason I put the podcast together, right? Is there's a lot of development out there and I want to give them the ability to hear voices similar to themselves to tell them how difficult it was or their own journey to get in to motivate them to be like, hey, this is something I aspire to oh, it is attainable. It is achievable. I'm listening to Matt Uvari, who grew up in Pittsburgh or like East Coast and has these ambitions to be a George Lucas or a <laughs> James Cameron. I got stories to tell, but I'm also in love with technology and all the possibilities that it brings. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there, man, and, and you're kind of paving the way or setting the trend to show them how you can marry both of those worlds.
1: Well, I think like the magic place to get to will be where we can have the flexibility to tell really specific stories but keep the simplicity and that's where like we have to leverage like machine learning and stuff that was not around when you and i were like younger is like how can we use like natural language and natural movements that we all know how to do To interpret that into like a cinematic story and like do it in a way where like the most talented storytellers win rather than like having all these barriers. I mean, there's always going to be barriers because you always want experts to be able to tell the best stuff, right? Yeah. By the time we get to the point where this is really flexible in five years, Pixar is going to be making stuff that looks like you would expect Pixar in five years to look. (sighs) We can't even describe it. Yeah, but if we could be making stuff that maybe looks like Pixar from 2012 and anybody can make it, then that's unreal. Like that's untouchable by a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, dude, I, I love the the problem that you're trying to solve and the, the opportunity that you see. Because what if when we were coming up at that collegiate level, that Unity was already in place or widely available, right? What interactive experiences or what games mm-hmm. we had built with access to those tools and the library of DIY resources that exists.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was like doing in grad school, like JavaScript and stuff. And I'm like, I wasn't a JavaScript programmer, but I had to like learn it on the fly during a project. Right. No game engine.
0: (laughs) Tell me about your background, your collegiate background. You have a programmer background as well as a theater background.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much like doing exactly what you know of me doing my whole life, which is like doing everything at the same time. So I was like a theater major And then I was a music and computer science double minor. Jesus. (laughs) And the only reason was like, I was like, I love all these things. You're supposed to do what you want to do in college. Me being like sort of like from this immigrant family who had like worked really hard. My dad had a kind of the what you get in the second generation of immigrants where he was like, all right, everybody has worked really hard. I'm really worried about your financial future, but I want you to be happy. (laughs) So he was like the combination of like, do whatever you want, but please get a job. So he was like, okay, do this theater thing. But like, you like computers. We used to use this Apple II a lot. You and I used to make programs. Like, why don't you get a programming degree? And I was like, rightfully scared that I wouldn't have a job. So I was like, okay, I'll get a minor in it. So I got the CS minor.
0: Wow. Look how that's paid off.
1: Which was a killer because it was like, I didn't realize at the time computer science is like a little different than like programming class.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What makes you say that? Is it because of all the theory that goes into like how to think about breaking down a problem and and architecting it and things like that or what?
1: I'm pretty bad at like advanced certain types of math. Mm. I think there's like some value to a lot of these boot camps and stuff that are around now. Mm-hmm. oh yeah you can call full sale a boot camp i would equate it to a book a trade school full sale is like a school to make sure you get a job right like so you're essentially in a simulated game company right
0: yeah totally
1: computer science undergrad is like what is the theory behind all these like programming languages and like what's the mathematical basis of like all this stuff
0: yeah be able to derive yeah why this search algorithm is optimized yeah yeah
1: so i got like d's and all the math classes
0: sure a lot of people do
1: but it was probably good that i was there and i If I took them at my age now, I'd be like, I'm learning the most. So I should, you know, like, but I didn't have that attitude back then. It was really discouraging. You didn't give a shit. But I did okay in like the programming part. And I learned a lot of stuff that informs like, you know, being a founder now, I have to think about like the ways that our team is like architecting stuff. And like, even though I don't consider myself to be a great programmer at all, like they did teach me like architecture and stuff like that.
0: Which is valuable. It comes back. It always comes back. The things we didn't pay attention to because it didn't interest. Us because it wasn't hands-on enough. We weren't making things. There's a reason they try to teach it to you and it comes back.
1: Yeah. And like the CS majors, like, so I was a theater kid. Let's not dispute this. I was not a CS person. When I was in the theater, I was like, man, I'm home. You know, (laughs) I, I, I loved it. When I was in CS, the CS majors who were just as excited about computer science as I was about theater, they were amazing to me. Really talented people that were on scholarship for computer science. And it only got worse because then I went to Carnegie Mellon and you have people that are Carnegie Mellon on scholarship for computer science. Cream of the crop. It makes you very, like as my dad used to say about like when I ran track, there's always somebody faster.
0: (laughs) Yeah, make you push.
1: Yeah. So anyways, music, computer science and theater just tripled up.
0: You said you wrote down a question you wanted to get at me. And it's rare that we flipped the direction of the interview. But I'm curious since you and I go back.
1: So you and I have had this wonderful thread of diverse voices. I always say I don't I don't see stories for me. I'm a white dude from Pittsburgh. Right. But I still don't see those type of stories, right?
0: Where's your family from? You mentioned your family immigrated here. Where yeah. are they from?
1: I mean, Pittsburgh is a lot of us I call us ethnic white people. We're from different countries. You know, everybody knows where they're from. So I'm half Hungarian. My identity was always to be half Hungarian, right? So uh, yeah. But it's not really that part. It's more like that. My family is very industrial, rust belt, you know, and I I just don't see a lot of those stories. That's like one of my favorite movies was like Winter's Bone because it was about like, Mm. I mean, they were in the Smoky Mountains, but just like Appalachian people, like my mom's side was like these Appalachian people. My grandpa was like an engineer on a train in the coal yard, you know, like just those kind of stories. You know, someday I want to do some sort of film or play that's more around that. But you and I have talked about this thing called How to Make it in America, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember when I came out and I was like, this is how I feel when I see like some coal steel town stuff come out, because this seemed like this was like one piece of media that was created just for you. And it was a buddy film or a show. And at the time, you and your buddy Jughead. Shout out to Gabriel. Really successful martial artist now. Running his own dojo in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was big success. Again, I'll brag on my friends. But um, you guys were like buddies and we were living in this house and this show came out. And I was like, this has to be like the best thing that has ever happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> on HBO, man. Oh, man. So I guess my question is like when you want to get motivated for like where you're going in your whole life, do you watch that show again in its entirety? Are those guys Dominican too? Like, Yeah,
0: Victor Rasouk. He played Cam on the show. He is Dominican and New York born and bred. And it's so funny because I forgot that I met him in LA when we were up wow. there partying for like E3 or whatever. Red Dead Redemption was winning a bunch of awards, and the whole crew was up there. We were drinking and partying and celebrating, and I ran into him in the Rosemont Hotel or Chateau Marmont or something on the Hollywood Strip. And you know, proud, shy, introverted me I was like, "Oh shit, I know that dude, but I don't know the dude." And I'm a fan, and I know he's we're from similar backgrounds, but. I'm not going to say shit. Right. I'm not going to.
1: Oh, you got to say something.
0: I'm not going to say shit. And then. Try. My buddy, Nick Zipman. He, he's on the, the most recent episode. He was that voice. Right. He was like, oh, shit. Diaz. I know you watch the <laughs> show. I know we talk about it all the time. That's the dude. You're going to say something. I was like, I'm not going to say nothing, man. He's like, yo, go say what's up. So that's all I needed. Right. I went over. I said, what's up? I said, slapped hands with him. And I was like, hey, I, I love your work. I love mm-hmm. what you do. I love what you represent. I'm a big fan. Keep doing what you're doing. And he's like, hey, cool. Yeah, yeah. What you guys getting into? Right. We was just trying to say, hey, where the parties at? Where the females? Where where's the where's the good times at? I wanna know. If you know something, let me know. I was like, hey, we're we're at this place, we're hanging out, celebrating this thing. You know, we're with Rockstar, we build games. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes to me and he says, like, Oh yeah, yeah, like Call of Duty. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Like Call of Duty, man. Right. I I kind of take his frame of reference and I respect it. Right. If that's kind of yeah. the biggest Hollywood success at the time that everybody's playing, I think that was a close enough reach. That was awesome. As an extension of that, I saw a Twitter post where a, a guy mentioned like who would play you in a movie of your life in your biopic. And you know, as a joke, he tagged a gentleman actor out there named by the name of Mandingo or something. And I took that and I reframed it and I tagged Victor Rasuk. I was like, yo, not that I'll ever get there. Not that I've done anything to this level, but just for all my friends, if they ever want to have me portrayed in their film, this is the guy I want you to cast. 100%.
1: Yeah, that was great. I, I remember when I was living with you, I was like, first of all, I didn't know any other Dominican people from New York. So I didn't know. You, you always
0: clown on me with all your New York slang and, and imitations. How do you not know people from New York? You do it so well. You capture it so well.
1: I know a lot of people from New York. And I know a lot of people from like, well, I used to live in Baltimore. Yeah. The Wire son. But you two were the first like real native New Yorker Dominican gentleman I'd ever met. And when you, so when that show came out, I was like, why are they so excited? And I was like, oh shit I realized after the fact I was like I started thinking about all the you know I'm like film encyclopedia I'm like there's no other shows like this like no wonder they're so excited and I try to imagine I was like imagine if there was a show about like a Pittsburgh boy and he's like trying to come up and I was like oh okay that's what this show is to these guys This is this is the
0: story, Matt. This is the untold story that we. Sh- Yo,
1: you know what? That show was so good too. I still remember there's this frame at the end where, like, and the other reason why I knew you guys like that is because you and and Gabriel were always like brainstorming businesses and stuff. And these guys in the in the show, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's like the most entrepreneurial. If you don't have, we talked about not having resources, you can do anything. If you take these guys mindset, they had nothing and they started to like buy denim and like make jeans and they got in with the fashion world and it's all just from charisma. And then at the end, there's like this frame of a pile of jeans, right? Like they got the denim shipment they needed yes. and then the show got canceled
0: oh man yeah dude like the end of season two i mean those stories are so powerful as soon as you can relate to a character the underdog rising to success or struggling to make it happen is always captivating at least to the have-nots and they do so well man at that emotional roller coaster of like oh yeah this is their chance and then something falls through right and then okay okay this is their chance and then season ends and like, oh, I can't wait till season three. And then for whatever reason, HBO drops it.
1: Yeah, it was a great show. I mean, I'm not even a New York guy, but it is very inspiring (laughs) as a show. If you ever feel unmotivated as a person or you feel imposter syndrome, just watch that show. (laughs) Yo, Matt,
0: I cannot tell you. This is episode 18. Mm -hmm. And out of 18 episodes, easily 60% of them we touch on imposter syndrome for some reason wow. or the other. and it normally comes because of some marginalized background, right? Like, Hey, we were underrepresented. We don't see enough of ourselves in this industry. We don't, we don't know. We didn't know it was a thing. It's always from that. right? And I, I talk about it myself as well. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no claim to this. I got to listen, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I love that you brought that up.
1: <laughs> Just inspiring.
0: I will go rewatch some how to make it in America season one and two over my next days.
1: Inspire everybody. Yeah. That's, that's our takeaway. Like our main takeaways today is celebrate your friends and don't have imposter syndrome. It's hard not to have imposter syndrome.
0: It's hard. And, and yo, if you are a creator, if you've made something, own it, claim it, build your yeah. brand, put it out there, pump it. I know a few people I've spoken with, they have this program. I think it was UFC, some USC alums. I hope to have them on the show. And they mentioned how one of their early classes in game design, make them go through the exercise of boldly stating, I am a game designer, right? Like had, they write it on the board and they ask the class to repeat it and say, I am a game designer. There you go. You're a game designer. Make games and get them out there and build these tools. And once you do that, right, like nobody can take it away from you. I have a podcast I put out episodes it still feels not natural to say that I am a podcaster but I get to say that because I have a podcast and I put out content
1: if you care about it and you're getting better all the time I think that's how I am with my filmmaking I'm like yeah I haven't directed Avengers but I work on filmmaking related stuff every day with the most care and passion and I am getting better so it's like yeah that's what I do (laughs) like we have a cinematic startup and I'm making a movie and it's like literally 12 hours a day. I think I've earned it and I'll I'll try to get better with every project. You know, that's how you have to think about it. So...
0: Do you have like a a soft deadline or a target in your head?
1: Oh, for the animated film?
0: For your film, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to like finish all of the scenes by summer. This summer? Yeah. Now that I put it on tape, I have to do it. Um, Yes, put deadlines. Yeah, and then like sort of doing anything we have to do post-wise for the summer with the hope of like having a final cut by the fall.
0: You're going to submit it to film festivals or what? What's the plan?
1: Yeah, I'll probably submit it to Sundance and not get into Sundance like everybody else does, but it's worth a try.
0: Will this be your first submission to Sundance?
1: I actually have submitted a VR film to Sundance before and did not get in, but probably wasn't really complete enough when I did it. You can kind of submit incomplete stuff to film festivals, but you have to at least prove that you're going to finish it in time. So, yeah, that's a tough one to get into.
0: How have you been able to marry your game development experience into what you're doing now, Aquifer?
1: I think it's something I use every day because like Aquifer is super interdisciplinary. All the stuff I know from film, which is like the cinematography that, you know, the direction, just like setting up curated. We have like curated mini films that people can build off of, like helping to set all those up or at least managing people during that. So there's that end and then there's like computer science, which is mm-hmm. like trying to work with our developers and just at least strategically approach how we're going to solve problems. The most game designy part is like game design is so unforgiving with like <sighs> interaction. Oh, yeah. And that's like something I always like, take away from any game i'm on is like you can work on it for like a year i mean you know how it is a preacher's to choir you know we've built a lot of vr games too and in, in my other business and like you can work on it for like a year and it seems perfect and then you show it to a stranger and it'll break your heart
0: <laughs> they don't know how to operate yeah. they get lost they get
1: stuck you know simple stuff it's like push forward and move mario and people are like what's forward <laughs> and, <laughs> and then it's like the tutorial and it's like Use A to lower the drawbridge and they're like pushing some other button and and they're just like running into the, you know, it's like that kind of stuff will make you really keen on making usable interfaces and pleasing to use platforms in our case with Aquifer. It's a lot of that. And then we have a lot of like ways of thinking in 3D. So it's a 3D cinematic creation world. You know, like we said, it's like a studio. We try to think of it like a studio. And like ever since games went 3D, you know, we all have to like think in ways of like, how does the camera move? How do you build interfaces that relate to 3D movement of cameras and characters and all of that? So those kind of things I feel like are so foundational in game design more than like, how does a gun go pew pew, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Even the like combat design system still involves those foundations of like, well, how does a weapon work in 3D? Or like, how do I jump across a cliff in 3D?
0: What do you guys work in? What do they consist of?
1: It's just me. I'm the whole team. I'm no, just kidding. We have a lot of people, actually, for a small startup, you know. We have 3D artists, character artists, obviously, that characters have to come from somewhere. Animators, UX people, like, because it's really important to, like, our tool, we have, like, lighting designers yeah. in 3D. Damn, because it's a startup, we have marketing people, like they're contractors, but we have like marketing consultants. Cause that's like part of the part we haven't talked about is like one of the big things about startups is like, where are your customers? Like you said, who's your customer target and like how do you reach those people? So they know about you and then some unity programmers and then some web developers. Cause we have a web platform too.
0: Oh, wow. So I can, I can operate the tools on the web.
1: We're starting to flesh it out so you can do more, but right now it's more of like a dashboard. So if you would have like, you know, like iPhoto or whatever Apple calls their photos, you know, and then you can go on iCloud. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing. And we're, because we have like some teams, like say you were working at EA, you're doing Frostbite, you have like other team members who you want to get input from. Yeah. You could like make a movie and then send them like a link and it would link to our cloud platform and they could review the movie without having to download the app.
0: Oh, that's awesome, actually.
1: Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So,
0: that's exciting, sir. I wish we could have gotten more into your. Dev experience working <laughs> working <laughs> with us at Blacksite at Midway working at Day One Studios on Mechasol. but this time for that, sir, I think you dropped some gems of knowledge tonight on the beauty of not being pigeonholed to do one thing, hmm. right? And and embracing all of your passions and finding a niche that still allows and empowers other people from your passions. Now I will never look at you in any other way other than george lucas james cameron right like the the visionary storyteller that will break and bend technology to do the thing that he envisions
1: we hope so but i think it is good it's good to like define your own role like i think with you right you're a game designer but you always had to reach the people. John Diaz is a man of the people and you are a performer. And I think you wouldn't be happy if you weren't able to like get out there and, and interact with people. You know, you're not like a sitting in the corner game designer. Really. You're like, I mean, you probably be a great lead designer on a large team, right? Because you wouldn't have a problem getting up in front of the team of a hundred people and be like, rah, rah, let's get excited about what we're building this week. You know, that's a big part of that job. So is
0: that is that what it was like at F nine?
1: It, it wasn't that big. The newer company, you know, it's like you do have to let people know that you like care about what you're building because we all get you, caught up in the day to day. You know, you got an Elon Musk. mud. I know he lives here now, too. Maybe he'll come over and, and tell me how to do it.
0: <laughs> Is that part of the job as a co-founder as well? at Aquifer, like, you know, what do you call it even? Right. Like the little check ins, the pulse checks to rally the company and keep them aligned towards where you guys are going and and moving the needle i
1: oh, don't know rodeo clown no i don't know <laughs> like you uh i feel like if you care about the stuff you're making it's really easy if you were in my company and in, in our startup like especially the new startup for like reasons that aren't like you care about animation or film or storytelling then it would be difficult but like sometimes you have to tell yourself like okay let's remind everybody like why i beat myself up day to day for this and like yeah if they see you doing that, then they're like, oh, this is not a callous business operation. This is like something that means a lot to people. I mean, that's like games are like that, too. Like all the people you and I worked with in games could make a lot of money working 830 to four, but they don't. Right. Why, why mm-hmm. don't they do that? <laughs> why do you not do that? <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. It is, <laughs> it is not emphasized enough that if money is your thing, don't get into games, if it's not all about the money, and it's about doing the things you love, connecting with other creatives, problem solving, and telling stories and experiences and things like this, you know that that's what drives people into game development.
1: Yeah, and you just can't get jaded. I've seen that a lot, like on the hiring side recently. Is like the game world can beat you up a little bit, and it's oh, yeah.
0: like, I got scars.
1: There's only a couple things that happen. Either you get jaded, and you like don't reach your potential because you stop having that like childlike wonder about it. Or you like quit and go do that 830 to 4 thing. (laughs) Or like I guess in like some of our cases, like go try to create your own thing. Or there's like the other people that are like you and I have some friends that are like, you know, like Harvey, right? Don't get jaded. You sometimes you you have some things that might make you upset or sad. You know, we all have ups and downs, but like keep the creativity and just keep towards it and it'll happen you
0: know yeah shout out to harvey smith
1: yeah and look at harvey's doing with like arcane like
0: yeah man he's a big role model he was my first creative director your second creative director and seeing him bob and weave and navigate this wild industry to still doing what he's doing and putting
1: out dishonored yeah so i think that's the moral of the story is like if you have heart for it keep doing it if you don't have the heart for it anymore do something else you know it's like and, and it doesn't take long
0: to get the heat check, right? To see if you can survive in the kitchen or not. And to be fair, I've been speaking to a lot of the new blood in the industry and you know they're approaching it much more sensibly and with long-term longevity and sustainability in mind, but more power to them. It feels like it's no longer about paying your dues and blood, sweat, and tears and sticking on. And it's more about building each other up, encouraging each other, motivating each other, working together, banding together.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's table stakes, actually. Like, Mm. I think good work hours, good planning. I think we've mentioned a couple times, like, new voices. Like, the game industry needs to be diverse. And it needs to have, like, a safe space for everybody. I I think... Beyond that, I was actually thinking about like heartbreak because games didn't turn out the way we wanted them to, and you spent five years of your life on it. Like, on top yeah. of all those things that should be table stakes, and I hope they are now, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't work on another game unless it had that kind of environment where it's like, okay, is everybody included in this thing? Yeah. You know, but like beyond the table stakes is like, okay, you spent five years of your life on it and it didn't turn out good. Like, what does that mean to you as an artist, you know?
0: As a creator. At Aquifer, the things you're doing are game adjacent. Like it's not a stretch to see how game developers can align with what you're doing. What would it take to get you back on the industry doing what you do, right? Telling your stories and creating those interactive experiences that only you can tell. What would it take, Matt?
1: Well, first of all, Of course, I'm focused on Aquifer right now (laughs) to anybody listening, but like, you know, I'm an interdisciplinary dude. We have a lot of things in our lives. So after Aquifer is a gigantic success, of course, I would want to be in like the position of where I wanted to be when I was like 20, which is like, what's the story based game out there? This is the opposite of what I tried to do when I started my game company 10 years ago, which is like what's an existing property that has like a production team already lined up where I could come in as a pure creator. You know what mm. I mean? Like, because I'm doing, I'm a business person right now too. And yeah, it's like, you wearing that hat. Yeah. But like, wh- is there a spot where it's like, Oh, we need a director for this really story based game. You know, that kind of thing yeah. where your only job is to do that part maybe the politicking we all have to do the politicking that's part of it is like winning hearts and minds but like winning hearts and minds about story and about gameplay you know so
0: is that a narrative director
1: yeah probably a narrative director yeah maybe um five years from now ea frostbite will be a grand success and then you'll be promoted to exec producer of some amazing property at ea redwood shores years years as i told you and um and then you'll hire me and we'll just chill and make beautiful things and never crunch does that sound like a fairy tale
0: <laughs> yeah, i think working from home in the pandemic you know i think people are working more than they did when they were in the office because they're they're so
1: connected oh that's so true but it is true like if i was like a narrative director it i wouldn't stop working because like mm-hmm. what i do with my film is i work like 10 hours a day on aquifer and everything else and then it's like what when normal people do fun stuff that's when yeah. I like do filmmaking like four hours in the middle of the night or whatever or like all weekend like my weekends are like I work out and then I like literally do that all weekend after I work out
0: I'm of the mindset that crunch is unavoidable in a creative industry mm-hmm. where where the goal lines are invisible. We don't know how far away they are, how to get there in a certain amount of time. But I will say this, to be asked or forced to commit more time than you can is where we fall apart, right? And that's where I will put the hand up and stand strong and be like, nah, we cannot do this. When it's optional... And it's left open for you to work, to drive something to the point you see it, right? Like for your movie, right? Mm. You've you've confessed that like, hey, you're a perfectionist. You wanted to get to a certain point and you wanted to get to a certain deadline, aka this summer, this fall. And the time logistics are going to lend itself such that you're committing more time than is healthy, right? But like when it comes from your own desire and free will, I want to encourage that. I want to foster that. And as if I'm ever in a position of leadership or mentoring or management, all I can do is encourage them and track them to be like aware and be like, yo, detach, disconnect, take some time off, breathe, recharge. Don't drive at it this way, right? But- If they don't follow that, that's on them. I think that's what's got me here, right like i I drove myself because I was passionate about the thing I was working on, but it's totally different when you're being asked or forced i think I think yeah. that's where we gotta draw the line. We can't even go back to midway. Mm-hmm. We can go back to Midway when I was just starting out super hungry, super passionate, super motivated. you had already been around. you had a much more appreciation for balancing your life. Right. And, and knowing what it took for you to come back to work, recharged and energized and productive. And I would see you leaving and be like, yo kid, take it easy, go home. You know, like (laughs) I can't, I can't do this. Right. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat the pizza at 6 PM, 7 PM. And I was young. And then years later, after crunching my ass off for Red Dead and GTA five, it's when it all made sense, right? It was like, oh, shit. This is what Matt was trying to tell me. You know, like the game industry is going to take everything you give it. They're never going to say no. It's up to you to draw the boundaries. Yeah. And, and be aware of what it takes for you to come back day to day to day to do, to do the best job you can do for the team around you that's depending on you.
1: Yeah. You don't want to come in one day and everybody's like, what's that puddle on the floor? Well, that used to be John Diaz. He (laughs) melted. We're going to just mop him up and like pour him out back yeah i mean bringing them up it is like you do learn after being in the management side of it like as a designer and a manager you have to learn to like let some stuff go and it's like a lot of those involuntary crunches are because people change direction you know oh yeah and so it's like there's crunching because so and assume in a perfect world a game scheduled well and you have like a really the lead designer has known to prototype it before the main team came on it's sort of proven out And like it's scheduled well and it's funded properly. People might still crunch because they're perfectionists, just like, you know, they do, but like it's not because you told them, okay, totally change the whole level. And then you have to like come in on every weekend because you're just rebuilding it. That's the stuff that used to drive me mad for sure. And that really like made me really care about pre production a lot more than I had learned in school.
0: (laughs) Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Identify these things ahead of time so that they save from these crazy creative bombs, right? There's like, hey, rebuild the whole thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Matt, bro. We did this it. has been a blast, man. I want to get into the lightning round.
1: Oh, we have a lightning round. That's fine. Yeah,
0: let's end strong. Okay, you ready?
1: Don't ask me about any games that came out this year. I've been too busy. Miles Morales that's the only game I know came out. Did you play Miles Morales? No, I don't have a PS5. It's like super hard to get one of those right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm
0: with you. What is the last game that you finished? And I know you've been playing mobile a lot, so Oh,
1: man. I haven't like actually finished any of these games that I'm playing. So
0: what's the last one you finished?
1: I I like have this game that I've been playing so much on airplane. Well, I again, I lost the last year. <laughs> but there's this game there's this game called space grunts and it is like the best turn-based little shooter game oh man i play it i play this game so much like if i have a three-hour flight every time i have a flight i play it for an hour And it is like the weirdest little iphone game i don't know if anyone else knows about this game
0: oh it exists on switch apparently
1: oh really a turn-based combat yeah, yeah, yeah for sure like old school turn-based combat
0: yeah yo okay i might pick this up on the Switch.
1: it's like so well designed Thirteen
0: ninety nine right now. Oh, jeez. Might pull, pull the trigger. They call it an action arcade strategy RPG. Shout out to Orange Pixel.
1: Yeah, that's a really good game. And then there's like an amazing story-based game I was playing that was called After the End. Oh, it's so good.
0: What type of game is After the End?
1: It's like a story-based third person. Like it's almost like that game Journey or whatever that thing was called. It's like Oh, sp-
0: damn. Don't you can't be comparing games to Journey just like willy-nilly like that.
1: Oh, it's like this beautiful game about like like wandering through the middle of nowhere, but it's like a puzzle game. I mean it's like obviously more mobile and it's not it's not like as journey-ish as journey. It's a beautiful little puzzle game. And then um one more on like my iPhone story based game list is this game called Starman where you're like all alone in space. And it's a puzzle game and it's black and white and it's really beautiful. So yeah, I guess they're all like story based iPhone games.
0: Those are the ones that drive you and make you happy. That's what's up. What is the last book that you've read?
1: Well, so I've been reading Lincoln and the Bardo off and on and reading other books in between it. So it's like got me, it gets me like too depressed. And I read at night a lot of times, but it's about like Lincoln's son, you know, who died young and he's in like a cemetery and there are all these spirits and they don't really know that they're like in the limbo. And like Lincoln comes and visits his son and all the spirits talk about their lives. It's pretty morose but it's like extremely well written. I was reading it because like my film is actually about like a person who like dies and is is reincarnated in a way. I don't want to give away too much of it. Since it's just a short film, but like I've been reading a lot of books like that. So I've been kind of trying to read that book over a year when it doesn't depress me.
0: Uh-huh. And then
1: I also read in the middle of that this book called Daisy Jones and the Six which on the other Side of the Spectrum is really fun and it's like a book about a fi- fictitious Fleetwood Mac type band and all the drama that goes on while they create their like greatest album.
0: What is the thing you enjoy the most about this job of creative development?
1: For the current job I have is like creating something that has not been done before and giving people the abilities to tell stories that maybe they haven't had before so it's like the freshness of it and the scariness of that i like it good
0: answer buddy favorite part about working from home if anything
1: probably efficiency like the fact that i can like get up work out be at my first meeting and then like if i want to i can like do something for lunch and somehow only take one hour break instead of like in the real world where you have to take a one and a half hour break to get anywhere. It just feels like you have more time in the day. Yes, I hear that. And if you have a bad moment, we all have bad moments. You can just go lay on the couch for 10 minutes and no one will ever know. And then you feel so much better.
0: Yo, I haven't taken <laughs> I haven't taken enough advantage of like napping like you know, 15, 20 minutes. You know, you
1: have a punching. You have a heavy bag in the corner, and when somebody like <laughs> makes you mad at work, you are like, "Yo, man, I'm from New York. <laughs> Let's get it." But <laughs> you can do that, and no one will know. Just mute your uh, mute your Zoom call while you're punching your punching bag. I've I've punched a few
0: pillows for sure. Yeah, great answer. Thing you miss the most about being in the office?
1: The stuff that has nothing to do with the office. Like I just miss seeing people that I don't work with. Actually because I still talk to the people that I work with. So like there was a really cool barista I used to talk to almost every day in our building. There were like friends from other tech companies I used to run into more, just that kind of stuff. Just people being in society and seeing the people that you just serendipitously run into every day. And sometimes they end up being people you can bounce ideas off of and things like that.
0: I hear that. Like, i run into a few people persons. These are the type of people that I would, you know, on my way to wherever I'm going out to lunch, I'm going home, I'm coming in the office, I'm going to grab a coffee, I'm going to grab a snack, I'm going for a walk. I run into them and it's like five, ten minutes of like solid catch up. Yo, what you up to? What you working on? What are the problems you're facing? Oh shit, I got an idea for that. Hey, let's collaborate, blah, 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 right? That now has to become... A calendar 30 minute meeting, right? And if their schedule is already packed, you know, then it's like overtime or you got to do it over lunch or you got to wait. Yeah, I hear you on that.
1: Just the serendipity of life.
0: Mm -hmm. If you weren't doing this, your current job as co-owner, founder of Aquifer, so you're wearing the business hat, you're wearing the storytelling hat, you're wearing the development hat, what would you be doing in place?
1: So I have like two different sides of my personality. I have one side of my personality where I want to be a innovative filmmaker. And like, I really wanted Aquifer to do really well. And then I want to make another company that is like, has to do with storytelling technology after this <laughs> and then make a film, bigger films every time. Right. So where I'm like the people we talked about where I'm innovating on storytelling, maybe make a game in there somewhere. But like the other side of me wants to like be the guy who rents surfboards to you at Hawaii and just like this happens. So I think like my answer to that is I want this company to do really well and I want my film to do really well and then I want to take my first two week vacation in my whole adult life and in that time I'll pretend like I'm the guy that you rent surfboards from and maybe I'll take a little break. You surf? No. (laughs) I just want to be the guy who rents the surfboards to you. The renting guy. Like in in forgetting Sarah Marshall, that like Paul Red character. I want to be (laughs) <laughs> Just for two weeks between companies, May, actually two months, two months between companies.
0: Perfect. I I'm with you, man. We are due for a vacation together for sure. Show each other how to. Do I this haven't had. Here's there. a
1: good lightning round one for you. So I'll go first. The most time I've taken, not taken, not doing any work, was one full day, and it was when I was in Palm Springs a year and a half ago. That's the most I have not done work for the last 10 years at a time. I've had Palm Springs is like been a special place for me. So I had one time I went there and I actually took a whole day off and I went to Joshua Tree by myself because I was just I was on a work trip, actually. But that was my longest I've taken off of work. What is yours? Have you taken a vacation? Did you go on a honeymoon?
0: Between Rockstar and WB Games Montreal, I had at least 365 days of what I call life crunch. Wow. Where I went to Europe, I got in the best shape of my life. I visited a whole bunch of places, family, friends, and it was glorious.
1: I didn't realize it was that long.
0: It was a year. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it was a wow. year.
0: But that was back to an area of like picky. I shipped these games. I knew the type of games I wanted to work on. Yeah, you had earned and I, I wasn't going to yeah. settle for something that wasn't that right. So that was that was a little bit of my own doing. But I was okay with it. Like I had severance and unemployment to keep me afloat.
1: See, the problem with me is my fun is like I, I would take a year and I'd end up doing something that was not life crunch. <laughs>
0: you would be working you would be building your film and shit
1: yeah i think i'm not lying when i'm like if this company gets sold like i'm gonna start thinking about the next one but like we do hope our quality of life improves and you get you know maybe this one does well and then the next time i could get more funding earlier or something or if like i make a film maybe i could get some funding for that and not make it from nothing you know so it's like hopefully you can do it smarter every time yeah I'm
0: with you, brother. I think the benefit you have over me is that you've identified your mission and purpose and driving factor in life. And I think I'm just now scratching at the surface of that, right? Like, so where if I was given infinite free time and no worries about money, honestly, I would be continuing doing this, right? Like, I'd be trying to make the show bigger, get more people on here, reach more people. I think that's that's where I would be, right, if I didn't I know. have to work. I told
1: you John Diaz is a man of the people. Like there's <laughs> there's like Rocky where Rocky wants to box, right? And then there's Apollo <laughs> Creed where he like boxes, but he also has to talk to the people. You need to talk to the people. I always knew that.
0: It's funny because I would never have called that off for myself when you said, hey, you could be a lead designer. You can be the motivator and the rah, rah, rah cheerleader, dude. I never saw that for myself. And so I really enjoy the show for that, right? We can kind of be a little bit candid and mm-hmm. tell each other little secret dreams and ambitions for each other to be like, I never saw that for myself. I don't think that's me, but now I may have to go into my review next week with my boss and be like, yo, yeah, give me some projects. Who's maybe. the
1: director of Frostbite?
0: So the engine is, is, is a beast and there's a lot of levels to this and I'm happy to be in this space, but, you know, I'll hang on for a few years mastering the technology before I can be like, Ooh, I've identified a niche and a passion project that I think we can build you know hey let let me take some resources and go build that now that i know the technology
1: well Mm, enough that's the approach i like that that's see that's Mm. a smart approach we're talking about where you prove yourself to them they love you and then they're like oh john diaz is a man of the people like let's (laughs) give him his own title
0: oh shit dude i can't (laughs) wait for you to get this movie out there on the aquifer pipeline and be like yo yeah look at what you guys can build this is the way And then people are just throwing money at you, trying to invest or trying to gobble you up and consolidate into their technology. I think that's the name of the game, man. We
1: are open for discussions in all those
0: areas. (laughs) With all your vast experience, your journey through life, you've ended up in Austin, Texas. You found the lovely partner that you can work alongside of building this business. I think that's so beautiful and wonderful. What words of wisdom do you have to impart on the listeners, the people that aspire to do the thing or lessons that you would tell, you know, 2006 Matt Udvari?
1: Do the thing you wanna do and don't compromise too much. Like I think what we're doing now with some of the cinematic stuff, like with Aquifer is like probably some stuff I should have done a lot longer ago. I think some people have meandering paths and that's okay. But like, it's good to maybe write down every day what you think about and what you care about and then like really boil that down from what people expect from you and what you think you should be doing and then like really think about what you should be pursuing and then like make a plan to do that thing and don't let yourself be like pushed by the currents too much.
0: I could definitely have benefited from that, those words of wisdom. I definitely believe in the power of affirmations and writing things down and reading that back to yourself. and. And I just built my first like vision board like (laughs) a month or two ago. And that shit is a great razor blade to be like, the things I'm doing, do they get me towards one of these pictures? Yes, no. Yeah,
1: just really gain clarity and be patient. And sometimes it doesn't happen overnight and just keep doing it and keep retargeting it every day because sometimes the target recalibrate. It's
0: Recalibrate. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's true. Where can people connect with you? see your work see what aquifer is up to
1: why my twitter you and i are connected on twitter first and last name matt udvari m-a-t-t-u-d-v-a-r-i for those that are not hungarian and they can look up aquifermotion.com which is our uh, startup website and then we're on linkedin of course
0: matt udvari on linkedin and aquifer motion on linkedin yeah are you guys hiring Do you guys need more resources out there?
1: Yes, we're super hiring. What are you looking for? Unity 3D developers, always. UX designers. And I think that's the main thing. Probably by the time this comes out, probably 3D animators and uh, character artists.
0: Any any particular tool set or it's all good?
1: Maya, Unity 3D, C Sharp. If you know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) If you know,
0: you know. Excellent. Excellent. And is remote an option or they got to be local in Austin?
1: Yeah, they're all optionally remote now in this new world we live in.
0: Way to be progressive. (laughs) Way to be progressive. All right. And the final question, and then you're free to go about your day or your evening. We have a little ritual on the show.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Is if you have enjoyed your time falling out of the play area, is there anyone that you would nominate to fall out of the play area behind you?
1: Nominations for people that need to fall. Are we falling into or out of the play area? Do you fall into it? This is an interesting question
0: because I think to come on the show, you got to fall into it. But when you're on the show, we're talking about things out of the play area. Yeah, it's
1: like you're come fall out of the play area with us. So the people I would nominate to fall out of the play area with me, my friend John Paul from graduate school is a really interesting game designer who's worked on like all sorts of big properties. He's in San Francisco, so I'll nominate him.
0: Same time zone, thank you.
1: And then I think another one that would be good actually to get like the international contingent in there a little bit. Oh yes, please. I just got in touch with like, actually this made me feel so good. One of my designers that was on my team in one of my jobs in Austin, female, who told me some really nice thing about something I had inspired him about when we were working together on a team. And he's now a design director at Zynga. In India, And he's a Yo. really funny guy and like really creative. And he'd be so fun to have on something like this. So Okay.
0: <laughs> deal. Deal. I'll take both of them if they're interested because they yeah. both sound like really awesome cats that I would learn a ton from and that have had crazy trajectories throughout this industry. That sounds fantastic, Matt. Thanks.
1: It'd be fun. Both of them would be really fun.
0: Thank you so much for your time. We've gone over. But that's expected when you go back as far back as we go to the mean streets of 6th Street. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the mean street.
0: <laughs> I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to share it, impart any last words for the listeners out there.
1: Don't be afraid to be an interdisciplinary person if that's your skill. And like some people are specialists and some people are more happy when they do multiple things. And like, if that's you, don't be afraid to do it.
0: <laughs> I
1: like I think that. That's, that's a good takeaway.
0: Yeah. I like that, man. And and have those discussions with your manager or if you're a manager, have those discussions with your reports, right. To, to try to offer what you think or you foresee for yourself or for them, right. To be like, Hey, I see you really enjoy specializing. Or hey, I really see that you enjoy thrive in generalizing, and help foster that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Matt Udvari, I was looking forward to this for the longest, and you have exceeded all expectations, and I had a blast tonight. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming aboard on Out of Play Area. Take care of yourself, buddy, and until the next time.
1: And as they say, John Diaz is a man of the people. <laughs>
0: After editing this episode, I've gone back to rewatch How to Make it in America and re ask myself the damn question. Why didn't they make season three? Then I found out that HBO also mysteriously just canceled another show I thought had major problems and was was guaranteed a second season. Lovecraft Country, WTF. I wonder what it might have been like had I hung on in ATX and went to work at Junction Point on Epic Mickey or Retro on a Donkey Kong game or at like Box Interactive. Or better yet, if I'd managed to get Matt to come aboard Rockstar San Diego to help us ship Red Dead Redemption 1, I'm curious how that would have panned out for him and all of his entrepreneurial pursuits. I'm curious what that alternate dimension might have looked like. How many of y'all muck around with Inverse kinematics? How many of you set it up or been curious why it's so universally used? I'm a huge fan of his entrepreneurial spirit. Aquifer is not Matt's first company. He's got a handful more, and I expect much more to come in the future. However, this one in particular, I really look forward to seeing him grow the technology, grow the team, and see what him and Chen can cook up in the future for all of us content creators and storytellers to be able to do more with the stories and concepts we want to tell. Curious to see what you think of their technology. They are actively hiring, and if you're adept with Unity, reach out to them. I've put all their contact information in the show notes, as always. In episode 19 of Autoplay Area, debuting Monday, October 11th, we sit down and talk quality assurance, control, and design with Brian Dumlau, a QA test analyst at Jam City in Carlsbad, California, who has logged his fair share of well over 10,000 hours of mastery into his craft since 2002, starting at Midway Games, then onto Sony Online Entertainment, followed by Disney Interactive, then onto Highland Studios, to where he is now at Jam City. I reached out to him after an introduction, thanks to an old guest, Jeff Junio, where the discourse about QA not being game developers made the waves, and I wanted to bring him on to have a conversation and discuss what I consider to be a key piece of the game development puzzle. QA will still remain a great entry point into the game development space, and I think it's important to go behind the scenes on what this entails and eliminate a lot of the presumptions people seem to have out there. Make sure to follow so you don't miss out. Please leave a review if you enjoyed the episode. And do me a huge favor and share this episode on your social media to help spread awareness of the show and grow our grassroots community. I'm slowly working up to a consistent 200-person listener base and would love to get there by the end of this year slash season. I know we can do it if we all help each other out. As always, devs, thank you for listening. New episodes of the Game Devs Podcast Out of Play Area debut bi-weekly every other Monday and are available every damn place podcasts exist including Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Castro, Bullhorn, Deezer, Stitcher, and beyond. And if you find one that doesn't have the show, hit me up immediately si play, so that I can rectify the situation immediatamente. Until next time, devs, I'm your host, John Diaz. Stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Mega Rand. let them know what time it is.
1: Flight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain, crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the out of play area. If you can't reach me, I apologize.
0: Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D. NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe.
1: Out of play area podcast. Out of play. Out of play area podcast. a little something for the game devs Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous Had to switch the styles
0: for a challenge Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales A new podcast comes to provide the balance With game dev veterans and rising
1: talents Out of play Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast A show by
0: game devs for game devs With no ads, no BS, just the real. Welcome to the out of play area. Let's go.